<laughs> Captain Craggleton here, warning all ye would-be pirates to stay clear of this here podcast, unless ye be wanting a boatload of animation chatter and terrifying number of Star Trek references. Listen at your own peril. <laughs> Hello and welcome to MuckPod, the MuckPuddy community podcast, where we talk with the cool people who help us make cool stuff about what they do, how they do it, and what's inspiring them. I'm one of your hosts, Josh Marchant, and who's here with me as always? I'm your other host, Simon Crane. I'm an animator here at MuckPuddy. And with us today, we've got someone outside the studio, a special guest, Lee McGeeran. Hi. Welcome to the Muck Pod, Liam. Oh, we are once again fulfilling our promise of our studio and beyond. And beyond, yeah, yeah. You represent the beyond. Oh, good. Like Buzz Lightyear said. <laughs> um, yeah, we're very excited to have you in the studio. Um, we, Our last guest that we recorded with was your brother, Chris. So it's a nice family affair That's to have right. you in. Yeah. Uh, friend of the studio, you've come in a few times. We've watched uh, we've watched movies together. Yeah, yeah. We um we watched um Mad God, Phil yeah, Tippett. That, that was a lovely time, uh, wasn't it? <laughs> new film that was wild. Um, you're familiar I with Phil Tippett. Uh, Phil Tippett, yes, but uh, only recently as a um, because I've been watching the um, Industrial Light and Magic documentary. Documentary, yeah. and he features pretty heavily in that. Yeah. Um, you were aware of him as a special effects man, not yeah, necessarily yeah. a filmmaker. Himself. I, I didn't know that he actually made his own cartoons, to be honest with you, yeah. until I heard that you guys had seen Mad God. Mm. Mad God, is that what it is? That's it. I watched the trailer for it and I was like, oh my God, that's something else. I now, think- did he, does he strike you as a man who needs a hug? <laughs> yeah, 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 I think so. Yeah. Um, well, because where I'm at with, with him right now is um, uh, Industrial Light and Magic have just made. Um, Jurassic Park. Have you seen this documentary? No, no, Disney I know. It's bloody good. There's, I think there's like it's like a six part or something like that, and I'm about halfway through. Is that? Um, can I find that on Disney Plus? Disney is that Plus. I, like, I, honestly, I can't believe everybody isn't watching this. It's, there's it's, just so many documentaries about yeah, on, know, on, yeah, on Disney yeah, glorifying yeah. the stuff that Disney made and owns, so it just kind of blurs together. Yeah, but that does sound very interesting. Oh, it's because like, Jurassic Park's got to be interesting because like. If that movie had been made 10 years earlier, it would have all been like a lot of stop motion. And work, this right? is where Phil Tippett comes into it. Because yeah. that, that, it was supposed to be his opus. Yeah. He was supposed to be doing all the dinosaurs in it. Mm. Um, CGI had not been developed enough to make a, a, like a proper, you know, they, you know, they could make Tron and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, you could. They were starting to use it for objects and things. Yeah, yeah. Individual. Yeah. This, it wasn't effects. meant for. They never thought that it would get to making dinosaurs this quickly. Yeah. And over the course of the production of Jurassic Park, you actually see Phil Tippett getting the news. It's like, it's not going to happen. Wow. So it's one of those documentaries where an artist gets their heart broken. Um, I've probably mentioned to you before the one um, about Sting in the making of Emperor's New Groove. If you've ever seen it, it's a documentary that pops up every so often on YouTube or, you know, sort of off the radar places. Disney doesn't like it getting out because it's a lot of confidential behind the scenes footage. I believe Sting's wife made it because they got the news like, you're going to be the Phil Collins to this movie's Tarzan. You're going to be the guy. And so they wanted to document the whole process. And it goes on for years. Mm. And it's a case of the movies in production hell. They're just sort of following the Disney formula of what a Disney movie is, but it's not quite working and everyone knows it. And uh, it nearly gets cancelled multiple times. They keep having to ask him to write new songs as the movie keeps changing what it's about. And then the, the, the ending is terrible. It's tragic because in the end, the movie's not a musical. There are no songs in it. 
there's there's an intro song sung by Tom Jones, which I believe Sting did right, but that's it. All his other work is just relegated to the soundtrack. Right. And it's just it's you feel so terrible for Sting at the end. And of course the uh, the real rub is that people love that movie. Right, as know, it is yeah, without yeah, without yeah, any of Sting's yeah. music at all, people love that movie. You can just see like bitter Sting at home watching the Emperor's New Groove. He's a surprisingly good sport about the is whole he? thing, but yeah. you have to imagine like he's you know privately he can't be happy. Uh, yeah. uh, on, on the inside, his heart just got Thanos snapped, right? Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You can see the ash. exact moment in this documentary <laughs> where his heart rips in half. <laughs> speaking of um, speaking of like um, animation documentary behind the scenes, mm. uh, have you guys ever heard of Persistence of Vision? I've heard of the phenomena, but you're talking about a documentary. Yeah, yeah. This is a documentary about which, uh, Richard Williams trying... Richard Williams, oh. the direct animation director of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, yeah. his attempt at making his magnum opus. Yes, I have. Yeah. I have. I've learned quite a lot about Richard Williams recently. The Talking Simpsons Network did their Roger Rabbit episodes, and a lot of... Um, a lot of talk about where Williams went after this. And yeah. There was talk of him doing a lot of Disney movies and stuff, but he turned it all down because he wanted to make Thief and the Cobbler. Yeah, yeah. And that documentary, it's it's such a fantastic, tragic filmmaking lesson about going beyond your means and the uh, reality of a production. Yeah. Because... Um, in all honesty, his ego got into it. He just felt because he is such he is at master status, and because it's his magnum opus, he felt he earned it. And he can push his anima- animators and everyone else, um, and his budget as high as he wanted, as mm. long as he got what he wanted. Yeah, and obviously he didn't. And the, the film takes you through um, all the little bits that were completed how much he pushed, how much he became sort of separated from the project, assuming as things weren't going his way. Mm. Um, and we've seen, like, like the amazing pieces of animation with the uh, the genie character um, uh, going through those that deck of cards. They're going right. everywhere. Everything is on ones. Um, it's an absolutely insane. But you, you completely understand why it caved. Mm. Uh, it's hard to find, but if you manage to come across it, it's it's one of the best behind-the-scenes filmmaking tragedy tacos you'll ever see. It's fascinating. Yeah. Richard Williams is the artist that a lot of kids, um, I guess I grew up thinking that I wanted to be like, I want to be really exacting, and I want every detail to be perfect. Uh, but then you start animating, and you're like, well, I have to start finding shortcuts because of my own sanity, my own time, yep. deadlines, all that sort of stuff. 25 frames a second goes by very fast yeah. when you're watching it, but not when you're actually making it. Exactly. But this is the guy who's like, I'm going to animate every single frame. And uh, when that guy, um, Zigzag is his name, and he looks blue like the genie, and he's voiced by Vincent Price. So... A lot, a lot to enjoy. And this is pre-Genie, though, right? It's, <laughs> yeah. It, it, get, it probably gets into it, but it's, right. it's sort of a contemporary. And also the fact that okay. um, Thief and the Cobbler is like sort of mm-hmm. a um, vaguely uh, Arabian um, sort of tale. Um, and the fact that uh, Aladdin lined up with that release. There is some sort of hairiness and questions around that. Maybe now, Disney sort of looked at them and the, went, is the we could do that. Is the Thief and the Cobbler, was that when he was making Roger Rabbit, I heard this that he was working on something else one of his own pictures and the studio found out that he was using their staff and I don't their know, time their budget and they actually took it away from him oh uh, so you'd want to watch the documentary it, it like okay. it completely goes into those details right, as well right. as like the, the the aladdin controversy let's say yeah um and again the, the it's it's kind of like the sting thing where you're like and again the tragedy is like 
Um, Aladdin is obviously a much more commercial product. It's a studio picture, but it's such, it's a better movie. You watch it and you're like, I watched a great movie. I laughed. I enjoyed the characters. It had nice songs, all that sort of stuff. You watch Thief and the Cobbler, which I have seen like the most complete version of it that exists. And you're like, this is astounding animation, but it's barely watchable as a movie because it is just, it's, it's an animator indulging himself. And what you're watching is absolutely incredible. Nobody else but him could have made it. But it's not what we would call, quote-unquote, a movie. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what do you reckon he's going to be remembered for is Roger Rabbit, isn't it? And that's Gotta also be. kind of sad because, like, he he liked... He, 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 he put was, his heart and soul he was, into it for He was sure. proud of working on yeah. Roger Rabbit, and it put him on the map. But he thought, this is going to be my springboard to making better, bigger and better things, you know? Mm. He wanted to be... Um, well, not Walt Disney in the sense that, um, you know, he b- would become a producer. He always wanted to be animating his own work. But he uh, he wanted to become, like, a bigger name. Like, the Richard Williams stamp of quality. Mm. And I think, actually, if you're talking about his legacy, I think more than anything, it would be his books uh, that That's secure his legacy. Point, yeah, because yeah. those are standard issue at What's Animation What's that, the college. Illusion of... No, the Illusion what? of Life is the Disney book. The his... Animated Survivor Kit. That's, That's the it. One. That's it. I don't think there's any desk here that doesn't have that on it. No, no. Can I tell you? I haven't read it. Oh, right. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've flipped through it, but yeah. this man is on such another level when it comes to animation. Like, And uh, if the things that he did to fund um, uh, Thief and the Cobbler were animated commercials. And you can look up you know, really long playlists of Richard Williams commercials uh, produced by his studio, and they genuinely are all astounding. Like... Um, I've just been watching the behind the scenes of some Disney films and they were talking about um, adapting um, uh, Alice in Wonderland from Tennille's illustrations and uh, Winnie the Pooh from E.H. Shepard's uh, illustrations. And the Disney people always say like, well, obviously we couldn't make those move. We had to Disneyfy them. Uh, Richard Williams, I guarantee you, if he got his hands on those properties, he would make those illustrations move because right. he's done some commercials where like there's one that I saw recently where it's, uh, two uh, two babies on like a Michelangelo uh, sort of ceiling and they're talking to each other and they're selling like, I don't know, diaper rash uh, powder or something. As Michelangelo would have. <laughs> As of course he would have. Um, but like they move and are fully rendered like oil paintings. And again, this is before computers where you can have plugins that will do that sort of thing for you. So each frame was done like that. And he has just like a million different um, styles that he can do. Well, He's a very impressive artist. I did see... Uh... I don't know where I read it, but it was he didn't even like the this sort of nineteen fifties animation style that he had to do in Roger Rabbit. Yeah. But it's what he had to do. Yeah. When I'm looking at it, I'm like kind of thinking, well, clearly this guy is obsessed with like nineteen fifties <laughs> animation because it just seems so authentic. Yeah. He I think it's a case of uh Zemeckis and the filmmakers, they loved that stuff. That was what they yeah. wanted, yeah. and he yeah. was the man for the job. Yeah. When you get Spielberg, you're gonna get like um nostalgia is sort of built into of it. course yeah of course you know with the animation uh, animated survival kit um mm. when i wanted to like give animation to go chris actually lent me that book and i read um the first couple of pages and it's just a wealth of knowledge but yeah. then it gets to a point where um he just goes into such detail about walk cycles and that just lost me yeah but I, like i had gotten everything that i actually personally wanted from it um from just like a couple of chapters yeah it and, is not. That's the thing. Like it's. It's not. There's not that much writing in it. Like it's. It's actually kind of. It suits animators, mm. if you know what I mean. Because yes, there's there's all the information at the start, and it's handwritten, isn't it? Like it's not. It's not yeah, typed yeah. up. So it, it kind of feels. 
like you're getting there. his notes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're getting his notes. He even draws some uh, some of his ante- anecdotes as well. Yeah, um, which like, just keeps you fully engaged because it's not just text. It's not just imagery. It's a really unique combination of both. Yeah, yeah. There's it's, there's a little bit of autobiographical stuff in there. There's a great one that I always think of um, that some fan of his actually did animate beautifully, replicating his uh, personal drawing style excellently. Um, but he's talking to uh, Milt Carl, who's one of the nine old men from Disney, animated Shere Khan and all this stuff. And he was, you know, very fawning of him, wanted to learn everything he could from him. And he does a great caricature of himself as this meek little character. And Milt Carl is this huge hulking figure frowning, looking over his drawing board. And he goes, uh, excuse me, I was just wondering, uh, do you ever listen to classical music when you draw? And he starts fizzing and frothing and he goes, for Christ's sake. And he turns around and screams at him. He's like, I'm not smart enough to do two things at once. He goes, okay, I won't do it anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's real, But it's really funny the way he's drawn it. And I've, then there's just like a little line of text. It's like, the lesson, unplug. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. how he closes it but what's funny about that is I did bring that up in a studio once because mm. everybody listens on their headphones now right we yeah. all listen to stuff that could, we watch stuff while we're animating now you know yeah. and I did bring it up in a studio once I said oh well, did you know that like uh, Milt can't say it to Richard Williams blah 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 and <laughs> it was so funny there was a girl in the studio and she didn't even look up she just goes yes but I'm a woman so I can multitask uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it I love it <laughs> so true yeah but um, anyway we didn't um, bring properly Liam in here Liam. to talk about um, uh, Roger Rabbit, uh, yeah. you're a human movie radar as well as an animator. Mm. Um, but but uh, uh, just I'm look. employed as a movie radar. Yeah, I employed say. as a movie radar. That's right. Um, uh, uh, for uh, flicks. For flicks. Yeah. NZ. Mm-hmm. NZ and AU and UK. Right. Yeah. 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 So so you get to watch and discuss a lot of movies. Yeah. I also get to, uh, I have the privilege of um, getting the equivalent of an Excel spreadsheet and typing all the information of a movie and the TV series into our database, which is very much the uh, boring side of it, but very much a necessity. Right. I see. So I was, I was curious. I was like, uh, obviously people think hear film critic and they go, you get to go to the movies all day. But I was curious what the nine to five of working at Flix was. Yeah. It's almost unsustainable to be just that. Yes. Um, As any freelancer would tell you, but, um, yeah, especially over the COVID period where um, before then we were strictly about cinema and um, a large part of Flix is listing session times for cinemas as well as the movies and just pointing people to where they can go uh, to watch their film. But over COVID, we then made the, uh, we hustled to cover streaming as well, streaming services where you can find not just movies, but also TV shows as well. And that required quite a lot of um, database building and that's a large part of what I had to do um, and so I work largely in that but also as um, as a writer as well mm. and I've I have found um, now that Flix is pretty much bigger than it's ever been I've gotten even better work balance than ever because it used to be quite exhausting just writing and this wouldn't just be like film reviews it would also be news stories about cinemas or whatever Mm -hmm. of new releases of trailers that come out very much just basic copywriting stuff but um now that i have this you could say mundane job but i can put things on the background it's actually like it's not it's not taking as as much um creative energy out of me sure sure right so like when you're building the database you can actually listen to stuff watch stuff yeah yeah for sure it just keeps me more engaged yeah yeah but yeah in a more in a more relaxed Mm. state of mind you're not constantly front of brain got to be typing thinking about what i'm saying yeah because i'm basically the equivalent of one of those um those uh, mechanical birds with the bulb and the water in sure it, and like just yeah bobbing down yeah. pressing the button except 
much faster than those. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. A few could just get like twenty of those birds and just <laughs> they give you Shakespeare. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Set it up in front of a keyboard. There are parts of there are parts of this job that are definitely uh, the bird on the keyboard where oh, hell I'll be yeah. listing something. Yeah. But then alternately, you get into the creative bits where you have to be thinking about what is the intention of this scene. Then I need to unplug and actually think about what I'm doing. Yeah. Well, I, I find that though, like, like uh, my favorite thing about animating is acting, right? I love the acting part. So that's my favorite part. So like the, a lot of that is you got to get your lip sync really good. And then you, I do my face work and there's nothing can disturb me when I'm doing this, <laughs> right? Then I get my keys done. And once my keys are done, I know the face is good. I know the lip sync is good. I know the keys are good. Then I can put on music. Mm -hmm. and, and then it's a case of kind of gone through the motions of where well, you got to do your, your in-betweens. You got to make sure that everything is lining up and all that. Mm. But there's definitely the start of the project. Like it, it, it's all my concentration has to go into it. You know, thinking back to um, our talk with Richard Williams, I mm. also remember he was talking about, um, you know, the hierarchy of animators back then with their hand drawing where someone would do, the higher up would do the keys and it would be up to the animator grunts to do the in-betweens. Mm -hmm. Now, would you prefer to be a person who just does the keys or just does the in-betweens? Or do you think that doing both is actually beneficial? Um, you know, I've actually um, had the privilege to have an in-betweener uh, once while working here. Um, we were doing that uh, World War II-style Gremlins short for Shadow in the Cloud. And um, it was we needed to do some changes, and we needed them fast. And uh, I was beginning to get a little burnt out. My RSI was beginning to act up. So I said, could we grab one of the other animators and have them uh, fill in the key poses? Because I know what needs to happen. I just don't think I'll be able to do it all myself in the time given. And uh, we got I got Ben Gilbert. Uh, he was available. One of our really, really good animators. And yeah, I, I enjoyed that a lot. Drawing the... the the really fun stuff of just coming up with the poses for the character, then having someone else... Uh, make it move yeah and again it's not just grunt work because he also like you know had to find interesting ways for those yeah. poses to meet each other yeah. and sometimes and do fun smears and stuff because that's what the style called for but it can be fun it can be fun that's, just to that's, that's you know thing. eat the candy let it, someone else there, do the there rest there is a part of me that does love that sort of tune out sort of side of working yes i love the you know doing the the keys at the start and all that but mm -hmm. then i do like to just sort of sit back and sort of not have to think too much about it and just do my in-betweens that way yeah i guess it would depend on the project wouldn't it it, it fully depends i don't think yeah. i'd like to do either permanently you know there, i definitely could be Th happy that's it yeah, yeah some days yeah. clocking in and just going someone else give me your scene and i will make it i will make it meet i'll mm. make it work you know um, I wanted to ask, before you um, became a professional uh, film critic, were you were you a movie guy? Were you were you into uh, going to the movies regularly, seeing everything yeah, you could? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, uh, around when I was in college and even slightly before that in high school, my friends and I would just constantly go to the movies every Tuesday when they did the Cheap Tuesdays yep. uh, close to us. Um, anything. It could be No Country for Old Men. It could be uh, one of the Transformers sequels. Mm -hmm. If it was playing and we hadn't seen it, we'll see it. Yeah. Just go. Yeah, we'd just go. Um, mm. It was partly a reason to hang out, but also because movies were our thing. Yeah, yeah. And that's, um, I think that's a way that a lot of people who are really interested in movies, I think it's what separates um, movie like fans, people who enjoy movies, and people who really love movies, is people who really love movies, they see everything regardless if it's good or bad and in some ways the bad can make you appreciate the good even more you know whereas there are some people who uh, like me you know for the most part i go and see things that i think i'm going to like you know 
whereas there are just some people who will see anything. And uh, I've heard it said that um, in the olden days of movie houses, you paid admission to walk in and see whatever was showing, and they just had the same package of a couple of films shorts cartoons running constantly and you'd walk in see whatever's on if you didn't like it you'd walk out yeah or maybe you go Te- in theater hub yeah or maybe you go in you see what's playing it runs and then you get back to where you came in and you walk out again yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and we have lost a little bit of that because with the rise of streaming services they're all about the algorithm and they're all about like trying to find you similar things that you have watched previously. Yeah. And if you go down that tunnel consistently, you'll never break out of it. Mm. But as one of our writers, Aaron Yap, who um, was talking about uh, Bill Gosden, the late uh, film fit, New Zealand International Film Festival director, what he was saying is that things like the film festival, because they are hand-chosen by people, they're all about trying to expand horizons. They're mm-hmm. all like, trying to explain to you why this film stands out, why it's different, why it might not be like anything you've ever seen, and trying to actually get you excited exactly. by that. And that's that's a good thing, because I am guilty of uh, being a slave to the Marvel machine. You know, honey, it's time for your Marvel. I go, yeah. and I'm like, uh, punch in, punch out. But it is... a. I did genuinely find going to the um, film festival like really refreshing because, yeah. and this is going to sound crazy and also very critical of the Marvel films, which I do go and see, but I was like, oh, I'm feeling an emotion because I'm watching a movie. <laughs> These characters are making me feel things again. I remember that. Like some kind of 14-year-old kid. Wow. What do you know? They're still yeah, in there somewhere. Yeah, they still make movies. Yeah. And there's also something to be said about the fact that they present you so many films. Most of them you have no idea what they're about. Mm. And if you're going blind to something, you genuinely don't know what to expect or what's going to happen. And how rare is that if you're like yeah. constantly fed um, the diet of the MCU stuff, which, yeah. you know, I love a lot of them, but... Um, they are predictable for a reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we it's, want we kind of there's there's safety. It's right? a product that works. It's, it's a thrill. Like, they yeah. they give it a new skin with yeah. each film. Like this one's a horror. This one's a an espionage film or what have you. But they're kind. They're a bit samey. I'm actually beginning to chase that feeling of um, going in blind more because I think I've said to Simon before that many of my favorite movie discoveries have been because I wasn't expecting to watch a movie. Like Roger Rabbit was on TV one day while I was channel hopping. Um, I saw uh, Hot Fuzz while I was at a mate's house and they just put on a movie. Um, and the film festival was like that. Um, our, our, uh, I don't know if you know him. I've said you remind me of him. Nigel Ward. He was oh, my... I met Nigel Ward. You met yeah, him yeah, because yeah. I forced was, you together to be like, right. huh? see? Yeah, yeah, see? Guy. <laughs> and you're like, not really. Uh, he was my animation. I think we both looked tutor. at each other and went, stoner. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he unfortunately uh, had to take care of his dad who got sick uh, and so couldn't go to a couple screenings so I got free tickets so I just found the ones that were animated and went in not knowing anything uh, I saw uh, Marcel the Shell with shoes on and where is Anne Frank oh wow uh, that Marcel the Shell looks yeah so you've seen the trailer, seen for, that the trailer one? for that one yeah I, I didn't know what it was apparently it's based on a popular thing that was like a YouTube short before a couple of shorts yeah. right and it was yeah it was really amazing and yeah. it was also a rare thing of um, uh, watching a movie in the modern day and being like I actually don't know how they did that because we say that you know computers are a wonderful tool but uh, they take they've taken away a bit of the magic and that most of the time if you see something that couldn't happen you go well they've computerized it you know that's how they've done that's how they've realized that thing whereas this was a um, a stop motion character Marcel who's a little shell with a googly eye glued on uh, to the hole and a pair of little uh, little shoes little shoes and um, 
and a little mouth that is literally just a stick-on shape that they replace for lip sync. And it's a stop-motion character, but they're walking around inside this house, interacting with this human character. The idea of the film is that it's a mockumentary and um, kind of a sweet story where over the course of the movie, the guy behind the camera slowly gets drawn into the story because, like, the Marcel the Shell is like a little kid and she's just naturally curious and she can't help but ask him questions about himself. She's like, why are you doing this? Why are you making this movie? Don't you want to be in it? And he's like, no, I just want to be behind the camera. They're like, oh, why, why do you feel the need to be behind the camera? He's like, please stop asking me questions about myself. <laughs> um, but it sounds like Man Bites Dog only with a little... Sh- Do you ever see Man I Bites Dog? I haven't seen Man Bites Dog. I would not have yeah. picked, <laughs> picked that film. But in Man Bites Dog, the film crew start to get involved. Hmm. It's it's They're making a, a mockumentary about a, a, a murderer. Okay. And, and as it sort of goes on and devolves into chaos yeah they start to get involved they, be- in they have to become yeah, characters yeah, yeah. so yeah so marcel the that's what you were thinking of sure <laughs> um it's it's probably much nicer than that yeah. um and but what i was saying was what was amazing is that the stop motion character is interacting with the human character and i don't know how they did it like there's a bit in particular where they're driving in a car and clearly it looks to me like they actually filmed it in a car. The way the light is... It's not like, you know... You still see this in new movies where it's clearly just they filmed the car and it's rear projection. Mm. Uh, the, they're on a green screen and they're going to add the background in later. Like, uh, they're shooting Marcel on the dashboard. She's... Look, uh, he, actually, sorry. In the movie, they make a point of, like... He's like, people think I'm a girl? It's a he. Um, yeah, voiced by Jenny Slate, just so to, you, like, throw you off. So right. you can see why I would make that mistake. I was surprised. She does a very good little child's voice. Oh, she's great in that. Yeah, yeah, really good performance. But on the dashboard, the sun is shining in. You see cars driving by. The uh, documentarian is driving the car. And the, the, the shell is on the dashboard. The light is shining off them. And they're talking and they're being animated. I'm like, how did they do it? Unless they digitally recorded Marcel, filmed her from that same angle, and then inserted her later. I don't know. I'd be curious to watch the behind the scenes, but there's also just a part of me that's like, it's neat that I don't know. Yeah. It's just a magical thing. Yeah. I feel like it's a combination of stop motion and um, 3D. Mm. But even then, you're going to be thinking, is this part stop motion? Is yeah. this part 3D? It's so consistent, mm. and um, I think because they chose to like um, to make everything look so stop motion, it's it's one of the great limitations they put on themselves. Yeah, in order to make it work. Definitely. No, I really, really, um, really enjoyed that one. Another thing about that film is that it's also viciously funny. It's yes, like yes. it's one of the funniest films I have seen all year, and part of it is because Marcel, being curious, is also just like absolutely roasting current human behavior yeah at the same time and as um they start to get some viral attention uh suddenly like the viral human douchebags start to come out yeah, yeah. um and they just milk that comedy for all it's worth but for all of that it also just remains a very beautifully gentle and quietly contemplative film yeah mm. the relationship between marcel and his grandma, who are the only shells left in this big house. The idea is that there are just a bunch of living shells in this house, and one day they got separated because the husband uh, who lived there left and didn't realize that they were all in his sock drawer. Uh, so it's just Marcel and the grandma. And yeah, it's cute, but it's also kind of unflinching. It's like, well, we still have to eat and we still have to survive. Yeah, so and they're farming. And and the grandmother is also the only connection that Marcel has mm. to um, his family as well. And I mean, this film has just big Kuya energy as well. That really um, just guides the whole thing home. And uh, the grandmother is like 
uh, she has one of the most heart tugging scenes I know. in the entire film. Yeah, I, I remember the one. I don't want to spoil it for people. No, it, it's all... not like they're even milking the scene. It's just what she does and how she does it. It's yeah. so beautiful. And it, it had some really, um, some really, I thought, insightful um, commentary early on about the importance of community. Um, like, uh, Marcel wants to find their family. And once they realize they have this platform because the video they made went viral, um, they do a live stream reaching out being like, hey, can anyone help me find my family if you have any information? But all the comments are just vapid. It's just like, I love you, Marcel. Make more. Make more content. And Marcel's looking through it and she goes, wow. Uh, he goes, wow, there's so much nothing. Right. And, and awesome. just randomly says like, um, I think that this is an audience, not a community. And like I, I thought that nice. was a very simple yeah. but direct statement. Yeah, and yeah, like you said, the the humans are showing up and they're filming themselves outside Marcel's home. And and uh, he asks, "What are they here for? Are they here to help?" Documentarians like, "I don't think so." And Marcel just says, "Hmm, this is not the elite task force I was hoping for." <laughs> <laughs> really funny. Again, um, I've always said, I've always felt that New Zealand audiences are hard to warm up. Right. Like we just don't laugh that much at comedy, even when we know we're supposed to. But. The audience was really with um, Marcel on this one, and there were big laughs from the beginning because just a great, funny character. Excellent. And, yeah, yeah uh, kind of brutal and in- incisive in the way that only kids can be, you know? Yeah. But also, we deserve it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, Marcel was excellent. The other one I saw was Where is Anne Frank? Uh, did you end up seeing that one? No. I I haven't really... I haven't placed a finger on exactly why I I maybe liked Marcel a little more. When you when you only see two movies, you're bound to compare them. But I did like Anne, uh, Where's Anne Frank a lot. Um, I could tell it was done in Toon Boom. There's something about uh, the way Toon Boom movies look. They just have a certain feel. The way that uh, the way that everything moves and looks, um, the rendering, that sort of thing. But beautiful movie. Um, a lot better than I thought it would be. I went in expecting that it was just going to literally be showing us here's the story of Anne Frank, which I hadn't actually read. Like, I'm aware of who Anne Frank was, what the general story is, but um, in, in, in fact, it was about um, her diary. A magical thing happens, and uh, her imaginary friend Kitty comes to life. Something I didn't know is that apparently Anne Frank's diary is written in the form of letters to her imaginary friend describing her day. So the imaginary friend comes to life doesn't know what year it is, doesn't know what's become of Anne, and is trying to find her. And, um, of course, everyone around her um, think that she thinks, thinks that she's kind of off and or thinks that she is making some sort of joke because they all have the shared knowledge of, well, of course, we all know what happened to Anne Frank. What do you mean, where is she? Um, and it was a really interesting movie um, because... Um, well, it, it gave me a touch of what I think the importance of the book is, which is that... Um, uh, Anne Frank was just a, was just a girl. Like that's what was important about mm. her. Now that mm. she's this icon, this figure, it's easy to like lionize her, make her a hero, make her a tragic figure, whatever. The the book uh, and this movie present her just as well. She was just up. She was just a little. She was just a teenager mm. going through all the things that teenagers go through. You know, fighting with her siblings. She, clearly, she has a favorite out of the two parents. Uh, beginning to have crushes. Then, but the most of the story is the framing device of the um, the character Kitty, and uh, she slowly begins to realize that like everyone knows Anne Frank, but nobody I guess understands her because they're like, well, you've named all these buildings after her. There's Anne Frank Theater, Anne Frank Park, but when I look on the streets, I'm seeing refugees being picked up by police and deported, which yeah. is 
essentially the same thing. You know, it's right, similar right, to what right, was right. going the movie on. Movie takes place in Amsterdam. Is that right? Exactly, and right. she's saying, "Well, what's really changed? You know, uh, what's the point of having this book if you aren't actually taking the lesson and acting on it?" You know, it was really good. I I enjoyed it a lot, and it also, um, but probably not funny. Right. Like, I mean, so, I mean, which, funny. And which, bits. which did you see first? You saw Marcel, Marcel first. first, right? Yeah, yeah. Which was like funny is sort of one of the things that, it, it that really, movie. Really that movie was. was happy, sad. This movie was more a little a little heavier, but right. with but yeah. with nice human moments, and yeah. it keeps it interesting visually because there's a lot of fantasy in it. Um, you know, with Anne imagining what she wants her life to be, and uh, Kitty doing the same thing because Kitty also becomes. A real person. So does it jump back and forth in time? Like, yeah, uh, through Kitty's memories. Yeah, to but, Kitty but between between misadventures in the modern day real world, she's reading the diary because she wants to know what has happened okay. to Anne. Okay. Really, really good. Uh, I'd recommend it, and I think the book, uh, the uh, the movie, did its job because it's made me want to check out uh, the book. So I've got it on hold at the library. Cool. Um, yeah, I went to the library to pick up a few things based on things I've been watching. I noticed that The Sandman, uh, the Netflix show is out, and I saw there were 34 holds for the book. So I'm like, well, I won't be reading that anytime soon. Mm, mm. Yeah, but, uh, wait a second. What is is that like a novelization of Sandman? Like I sort of like casually flicked open the comics every now and then? Yeah, it's, and it's a... It's I wish a, I'd paid more attention. The, the graphic novel is what's on hold. Right, okay, okay, yeah, That's yeah. Neil Gaiman's graphic novel yeah, series. It's been yeah. turned into a Netflix show. Yeah. I've been watching it. It's very interesting and very strange in the way that his work tends to be. But I'm keen to keep going. Great, cool. great cast. I'm loving it. The show? Yeah. Okay, I, I'm, I've avoided the show. Hmm. Um, I'll get around to it. It's sort yeah. of it's it's uh it's like that thing is too much. There's too much out there. Well, I was gonna I, say like uh, yeah, Liam of all people must know well, that there's yeah. too much to watch because you're Honestly, cataloging it all. I annex TV almost just to fit more movies in. Yeah, yeah. really. Uh, kind of yeah. That's sort of how it's been going. It's only recently that I've started dipping back into limited series um, because I know they're limited. They're not going to drag itself out for thirteen seasons. Yeah. Where, yeah, like only the first two were good. Yes, but I did recently finish Bear Call Soul, and I'll just leave that. That's an amazing show because that, that I've been carrying that show for like the past seven years or right whatever. But that that does feel like the last show that was based on seasons that I've been kind of hanging on to. Mm. Yeah. I'm very excited. I am going to start watching it now. I I started watching it when it was new and it was slow and, uh, you know, it didn't have the same uh, exciting, explosive, jumping off, sort of almost Twilight Zone-y first episode that Breaking Bad had. But I was watching it. I was like, I know this is good, yeah. but I can't watch this week to week. Once it's done... I will watch it, and I will watch it in big bursts, and I know I'm going to enjoy it. It's yeah. very much um, made for a weekly release because um, where it often leaves you, mm. episode to episode, it might not be big, yeah. but it does make you think, what the hell was that about? Yeah. Um, and that is designed to, make, to, to force you to carry that with you for days until the next episode comes up. That's what I've heard. I've heard it's a very um, it's a real he- uh, character-heavy show. And it really gets you in the mind of these characters um, more than a slightly actiony show like Breaking Bad. So I'm real keen to get well, into it. I've heard nothing is, though, but great things, and that makes me excited to start watching it because I'm not going to have the background chatter of everyone else watching it at the same time. Yes, yeah, yeah. I did that with Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. I didn't get into Breaking Bad until it was finished. Right. And then I thought, oh, I better see what this is all about. And I don't binge stuff. Like I spend ages watching a show, but Breaking Bad was the one that broke me. Whereas right. I like. It, it kind of like what you were saying about uh, Better Call Saul. 
it had cliffhangers at the end mm-hmm. where I was just like, I, okay, I won't watch the next episode, but I got to see what happens. Yeah. I watched a bit of the next episode and then you just get caught into it. But do you, like, because you're saying that you were, um, you know, archiving, now you're archiving streaming shows as well. Like, that's the difference. Like, movies are, you know, hour and a half, two hours long, whereas streaming shows are 13 hours long if you watch one season of it. Yeah. There's just so much more to get through. There there was. And I'm glad that Netflix have stopped with their um, former model of having everything be 13 episodes long, one sure. hour a piece. Yeah. It just seemed way too excessive. And even with, like, um, Stranger Things season four. I haven't caught up with it, but only because it's so damn long. I know. I, I know. really enjoy Stranger Things, but it's like I'm thinking about the time commitment. It's like I'm just gonna microdose. Yeah, this. my yeah. my uh, my cup runneth over watching that latest season. I was just like, it's it's nice and all, but really an hour and a half for each one. And wow, I re- and I really thought that okay, but we're pulling into the station. This is the last one, so you want to like do as much as possible. There's another season coming, and I'm like. I'm so full. I'm so full. I can't, don't know if I can do another season. Mm. And I don't see them getting shorter episodes, yeah, you know? Yeah. Like another hour and a half, 13 season episode. It's a lot. It is a real commitment. Though it's interesting. I was talking to someone today and it's true. Some people, and I fall into this trap many times of going like, I want to watch something. Do I have time for a movie? I don't know if I want to commit to a movie. I'll watch a show. And then you end up watching the show for longer than you would watch the movie because of that exact uh, formula that Netflix has worked out with. Yeah. Like, if we leave them on a cliffhanger, they can watch another because it's right there. It's ready for you. You might as well have it You literally now. don't have to do anything for it to keep going. Yeah, that's right. In fact, if you, if you don't act fast, it will just automatically just keep you there. Yeah, all it, weekend. Like you have to turn, you have to physically say, "No, I'm not watching anymore." And then YouTube and got onto on. that. YouTube now has uh, autoplay as a default, you know, so you can just if you leave your TV on, it will just endlessly go down an algorithmic rabbit hole of and hear something else and else and else and else and else. And same with the um, the interfaces. I just have it on mute because I really do think psychologically with the uh, the home pages of Netflix um, and similar services, they start playing previews like automatically. And I think that's to like kind of put you in a stressful situation where you go, I just want to pick something so that I can uh, get away from these constantly playing previews, you know? So I mute it so that I actually take my time and decide on what I want to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, what you were saying before about um, about uh, the advantages of, um, of weekly releases and just really anything other than uh, streaming, I used to work in a video store and obviously that market has shrunk and gone away. Uh, but there were still people who um, who came and did it. Like, obviously, there were older people who didn't know how to use streaming and that sort of thing. But there were also young people who came and um, seemed to enjoy it, at least it seemed to me, and from what I remember of shopping at video stores, because the experience is nice of going somewhere and browsing and finding something that uh, you wouldn't have um, known to look for for yourself, but it's there, you know? Which is different than um, streaming, I think, is always good if you know what you want to watch. You can find it somewhere. And also, you think about the environment of a video store, right? You mm. go to see uh, the cover or something. You see a picture. You see the text. You read the blurb. You have someone who tells you what they saw, what they loved about it. But you never actually see anything about it, right? Mm-hmm. That builds anticipation. Whereas, if you get a, tra- a three-minute trailer that tries to shove in all the good bits, yeah. you kind of already have... Um, Sort of an expectation. It's a very good point. Um, yeah, yeah. There's a delayed gratification yeah. to a yeah. video store. Yeah. You like, have to decide what you want to watch. Yeah, and then you've got to take it home. I never put that together. I was only saying it when when Chris was in here the other day that I don't watch trailers anymore. Like I'll watch 
20 seconds of a trailer mm-hmm. and if it, if if it hasn't hooked me in 20 seconds then ah, fine I'll watch the rest I'm not going to go to the movie mm. but if in 20 seconds like or if it's like a Marvel and I know I'm going to go and see it or a superhero thing I actually just like block my ears because I don't want to see what the trailer has to say but like I never put it together I'm a video store guy yeah. and I used to love exactly that just looking at boxes and choosing my next watch mm. based on like like a box that I just saw at the corner of my eye and something in it like a little picture or something I'm like oh right that'll do of course I rented out some crap sometimes, <laughs> yeah, but I, yeah. I got gold as well at the same time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And if you recontextualize it, right, it's one of the most, um, one of the things that gets people addicted to cooking shows is because they look at a dish, they hear about how delicious it is, how great it smells, but you're never actually tasting it or smelling it for yourself. Yeah. Um, that pleasure is denied from you, but it's that, that anticipation that really just really drives you, really gets the imagination going for that experience, you know? And we kind of lost a bit of that with TV and movies, mm. I, I feel, at least in, like, the mainstream context. Yeah, I was wondering, I said this to someone uh, at lunch the other day because we were talking about, like, well, streaming's good if you know what you want. Netflix does have a, like, pick something for me, but I never use it. I, I, know, I don't I know anyone I who does yeah. because, well, A there's the high chance you're going to get something you don't watch and you're just going to go, no, 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 no. And then you might as well be browsing or it'll give you like a show and it's like, here's episode 614 right. of a show. And you're like, well, that's of no use to me. I was wondering if, again, uh, video stores uh, offer something different. Live TV or like I was saying about those cinemas that are just running, that is also a different experience of just tuning in and seeing what's on. I know that like Adult Swim on their website just has like a, here's a live feed of stuff that will be playing. And I've enjoyed going logging onto that website just dipping in seeing what's on and being exposed to either stuff i've already seen and loved or something i've never seen before and having my mind open i was wondering maybe netflix should think about having just a like like a live stream like here's what's on netflix and you can tune in and uh see something new you know maybe just like a netflix movie marathon yeah of a whole bunch of different stuff Mm. yeah yeah it is funny actually that netflix doesn't do sort of film festivals like highlight film festivals and stuff like that. Which is so crazy because there are a lot of great film festival type films just waiting there on Netflix. Like a a film that got released earlier this year is called Photocopier. Mm. And it's from, I believe it's the Philippines. And it's all about this, um, this girl who hardly ever drinks. She goes to a party, wakes up, has no idea what happened to her. And suddenly everyone's like um, calling her awful names. And it's essentially a detective story of her trying to figure out what exactly happened on that night. It's really good. But not a lot of people know about it because you think Netflix is going to pump it up the same way they pump up their $200 million action blockbuster, yeah. The Gray Man. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah. it's like understandable because they spent way more money on that film. Mm-hmm. But it's like, how, how does Netflix get, um, how does Netflix platform? It sounds everything? like a good movie to me. I didn't hear about it. Yeah. yeah. No? Essentially, it, it's like, it's, it feels like it's not real. They feel like it's not up to them to tell every everyone about everything that's good on their channel. It's like mm. they're living it to everyone else, which, you know, I guess fair play. Sure. But that's also kind of where Flix is trying to align itself. That's what I was going to say. This is what we have got something like Flix for, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's Part of it is trying to be that video store guy just online because mm, right. everything that's recommended, it's all coming from people and the writers that we have. Yeah, yeah I really yeah, liked um, the way that um, Flix was doing its uh, reviews for the New Zealand Film Festival because I think quite smartly they knew that not you know everybody was going to sit down and read your standard four or five paragraph review of 
uh, every film when you when you have so many films in the program. So instead, it was just like almost a blurb of a review. You know, a couple of quick sentences to give you an idea of here's what it's like, here's how I felt, etc. Really handy because I was able to when I was trying to decide, I've got I can pick two films. I was able to quite quickly go through and see. So you picked your movies from flicks. Yeah. Ah, oh, cool. What I also really love about that format is that we have multiple writers talking about multiple films a lot of the time. And a lot of the times we won't see eye to eye on things. Yeah. Like there's a film um, that was in the film festival called Speak No Evil. That was part of the Incredible Strange section. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, it's about a, uh, oh God, a Danish family who just met a Dutch family. Okay. And the Dutch people invited them over for a week in a way. That's weird, but we'll go. And these people are just so damn polite that when weird shit starts to happen, um, they, they don't know whether to leave or to stay. Right. Um, and everyone else got something really big out of that. So me, the whole experience just really kind of <laughs> twisted my gut in the wrong way. Right. Um, but that's also kind of the beauty of it is because it emphasizes that you, there's no one, one way to feel about something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when, when I would click on a movie, there would often be like several reviewers would have their quick blurb and that again was a great way to um get a a couple of different views you know for instance with that one i'd be like okay most of these people got something profound liam found it a bit weird maybe i'd find it a bit weird or maybe i'd get something out of it i can make up my mind based on that yeah yeah for sure it's just like preparing yourself for for it for going into it yeah it's i'm i'm very excited and interested that we have a um a professional film critic here because i know we have some friends at the studio who don't like critics period they just right, they right, just right. not a fan of the idea of film critics they, and the rest of us fancy ourselves as <laughs> we we're you know we're all armchair critics <laughs> logging onto our letterbox honestly you should have heard me in the in the can in the kitchen there earlier on what did i say i didn't like uh Luca, I didn't yep. like Coco. Yeah, all these amazing movies. I, mean, yeah. I didn't like that. I didn't like that. It's just why, <laughs> which is which is what everyone does, right? Yeah, like, yeah, sure. I I think people that get wound up about the idea of film critics, I'm like, but literally everyone, including you, is a critic. When you see a movie, you lean over to your friend and say, "That eh, wasn't so good," or "Oh, hey, that was awesome." You know what I mean? Yeah, everyone only, does it. The only difference I can figure is like uh, everyone's a critic, but not everyone's a writer. Yeah, um, yeah. So like. Professional film critics have to be writers, or in nowadays a professional YouTuber who can actually <laughs> right. like speak um, critically about films. They don't necessarily have to write. Exactly. Them. I mean, yeah, that's why know, I, that's why that. I don't write reviews because I find it like I find it hard to articulate sometimes what I liked and didn't like sure. about a movie. But then I'll listen to some reviews and I'll go, "That person got it. They said exactly what I was feeling." You know? Yeah, but you're well versed in cinema, though, like in the art of cinema. That sort of is going to help you uh, always... inform you to when you know what you're looking at. Yeah, yeah, for sure, and. Also, making films, like, that also, going through the process of it also kind of leads you into a perspective and I think kind of can make you a bit more empathetic to the filmmakers. Right. Yeah, but I think yeah. anyone should be, right? You don't make it personal about filmmaking. You can say everything about how it made you feel and yeah. what you think about it, and that's all fair game. But if you start, start to say, like, um, accuse someone of being a hack, it's like, then yeah. you're kind of crossing a line. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah, um, sure. they're, yeah they're, definitely, they're definitely, like, bad faith critics or critics who are just there to um i want to show off how smart i am i could do it better but they never ever want to prove it you know what i mean but i obviously i there's the adage of like well if you're so smart why don't you do it i'm like well that's also not fair everyone has an opinion and is entitled to it well my response would be that's great give me a hundred million dollars yeah i'd like to make a movie please yes thanks yeah but you've got you've got uh you've got double jeopardy because you are a filmmaker 
Yeah, with zero dollars to make the film. But <laughs> yeah. that's that's actually um, that's uh, that's kind of fine because you know you don't have the pressure of um, having that much money or people um, behind you. Mm. Um, I guess when I've been making films, it's at least recently it's it's mostly been by myself. Because mm. um, years ago I I gave it a shot, but something I know about myself is that I can really feel the pressure of other people's expectations mm-hmm. um, weighing down on me. And that can, I find that too distracting, um, especially in an independent sense, because you're not paying these people. Yeah. Um, they don't have that kind of compensation. So in a way, they're kind of relying on you to make something that's good or that they feel strongly about. Yeah. Um, and as, as long as I'm doing these independently with no money, I just, um, I do them for my sake. Like a person who's just, got a pad and pencil and just draws because they like it yeah, yeah right you, well i tell you what um for every occasion your short movie about the the, the people reading the, like it's what did it i here's a question i have for you right when you're talking when you're reviewing the movies uh that's the spoiler thing you don't want to spoil a movie i don't want to spoil your movie too much yeah but in nutshell is it fair to say it's like it's about uh like a, a box of cards and i'm reading the cards and you're sort of telling the life of two to three people yeah based on all these cards yeah i i mean it, it might be better if i just talk about the inspiration of it who mm. is yes. um my well there were two inspirations um and they're both past now but one was my stepfather-in-law who would just absolutely love to make um greeting cards for everyone and he would make them on his computer using like word clip art pictures of himself mm-hmm. he would write limericks in them uh type them all down and he would then uh, you know how you fold them twice in and of themselves yeah he would do that he would do them for everyone for every occasion amazing for every occasion so it's, <laughs> it's, it's really the best kind of card you can get as a handmade card isn't it really it? is yeah. and they were really corny but i didn't care i loved them and um uh, he was still with us when I was making this um, before we even um, had any idea that he might be passing, right? It's just every time I we got a collection of cards, it's it always just snapped back to a memory, right? Mm. Yeah. Um, and that's a large part of what inspired it. And another part was um, my cousin, Tonga Manaya, who, uh, who sadly passed at only the age of 18. Um, oh now, I wasn't, I was, I wouldn't say I was super close to her, but just like seeing flashes of her life, mm. um, just gave me the impression of the kind of person that she was so if anything it's like kind of both those um those feelings and those people collided into each other well um, i tell you it, it, what, what whatever you were getting across it hit me home mm. um there's the bit where the oi i've got something to tell you <laughs> card when you see it in the box at the end floods like mm. i was just like <gasps> you know like oh my god it's real <laughs> you know and um, because i'm i've like t- boxes of cards but i throw them out now yeah because um, yeah. you can't keep them all and it's no. like how do you decide which ones to keep and then when i saw your movie i just felt like <laughs> so shit for throwing any of them out you know each one is like is a treasure toy story did that with toys <laughs> right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah but toy story spent millions doing it <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah 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 you got me <laughs> for a lot less than millions <laughs> Yeah. That's, de- that's definitely what I felt watching it. I'm uh, watching your films on your channel and for the 48 hours, I'm always like, I think that uh, you start with a feeling that you want to, that you want to create in someone or communicate uh, to people and you go from there, you know, it's not uh, big budgets. It's not a lot of glitz and glamor. It's just, what's the, what's the simplest way that with the means that I have available that I can get that across. Yeah. You absolutely cracked it because like, 
in terms of me animating, I'm not that good. I wouldn't consider myself a professional. Definitely not on your studio, on your guys' studio level. Um, but that also prompts me to work within my own limitations. Now, admittedly, I don't know why I was thinking by doing a film where I'm only animating hands. Uh -huh, but yes. um, that forced me to learn how to animate hands in a way that uh, looked okay-ish. But at the same time, because it's greeting cards, it means they can take on a drawn with crayon sort of look mm -hmm. uh, which suits the style and that's all about what i try to do if i try to make something it's just to suit the style of my limited way of animating sure now um the caterpillar another short movie of yours that i saw on um youtube and there's it's it's basically the life cycle of a caterpillar but like it looks like a sketchbook right there's one shot in that where you look up through the trees that's beautiful i mean that was i looked at that and i'm like how did you do that <laughs> it, um, that was so gorgeous <laughs> that, admittedly that was just my iphone and a filter oh is that what that was yeah okay, that's all it right. was it's only the caterpillar that i actually hand animated okay um, yeah but again it's like because the cat because i drew the caterpillar in sort of like a childlike crayon sort of way it meant i could use that filter which looked kind of similar right um to be the background it means i don't have to draw backgrounds because i'm horrible at it um and that's all I did. Well, it, it, look, it, like, yeah, no, you're right. It, it, the, the two styles matched beautifully, um, and yeah, like, like even though technically you didn't draw those backgrounds, like, it, still the composition of it, just the whole, everything about it, I just thought was was gorgeous. Oh, and, thank you. And you say you're not an animator, but you're zeroing in on a lot of paints that professional <laughs> animators have every day. It's like, oh god, hands, <laughs> horrible things with fleshy things coming out of them. How many joints do they have? Three, that sounds right. And backgrounds, you know. Been doing it for years. I'm doing a kids book at the moment, and I've drawn all the characters. I'm like, oh, I guess they should be somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. They need backgrounds. Mm. But I find that with hands, even like even if you take a photograph, so you really have something to look at, yeah. and then draw that hand. As soon as you draw it, it's like it no longer looks like a hand anymore. Yes, yeah. <laughs> some weird abstract creature. That, that was actually um, the reason that I made um, the backgrounds in for every occasion live action. It's because when I drew my attempt at looking at the background, I was like, I can't expose anyone to just that background. <laughs> it's mm. not enough. It looks kind of gross to me. So Right, so they were live-action backgrounds. Um, for every occasion. Yeah, yeah, yeah for yeah. every occasion. Yeah, because I, I wondered, was was that like rendered in a 3D program or something like that? No. They were beautifully like lit and shot. Oh, and, thanks. It's, yeah. Um, yeah, we have a, a fairly old Canon um, 70, I think, which uh, it's... It's good for filming, but you can't move the thing. Right. You can't move it anywhere because its focus just is abysmal. Mm. So as long as I kept it still, I was like, well, that's, that's just going to work. Cool. I also got a whole bunch of um, blank cards from Stationery Warehouse. Uh, just put them wherever I thought the background was suitable to finding those particular cards around your house, right? Um, and then just shot it from from there but i also have just like an abundance of these blank cards left so what i've just ended up doing is carrying my stepfather-in-law's tradition of making homemade cards excellent with all of those left that's Very a nice cool. thing to do yeah. yeah um any you know anything you can um you can make and uh for your family means more doesn't it oh for sure yeah. i'm um i'm putting the finishing touches on um and i'm sure i've mentioned it before the home movies that we make with my cousins Every year we get together um, at my uh, 
their grandparents' place. She's technically my great aunt, but she's my grandma. And um, we, as a project for the kids to keep them engaged, we make movies together. And uh, they've recruited me in recent years to be the director. So we've started doing film westerns and we did um, uh, a noir this year. It's fun because it's all stuff kids have never seen before. So we have to find examples that are vaguely kid-ish friendly. But the nice thing about them is that and your movie was bringing out those sort of emotions in me when thinking about like the future where those people are no longer with us um they're going to have these wonderful records of our time together you know that they're going to be able to look at and even in the couple of years that i've been doing it i didn't know this i'm not a parent but it's true what they say kids grow up fast we looked at one from like three years ago and we're like they're babies they're They're babies back then it's crazy yeah i've I've found that doing 48 hours as well because um we had started doing that in 2006. We, we were just teenagers. And looking back at that, I was like, Jesus, I was just a baby. And so he, you've been doing 48 hours for a good long time. A long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah for a good long time. The, the competition started in 2003, and that was the brainchild of Ant Timpson. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got in in 2006. Like when it first started, 48 hours, you would only get like maybe 60 teams. Now it's over 550 this year. It's huge. It's, it's huge. And... It used to be in just Auckland, then Auckland-Wellington. Now it's just everywhere along the Motu. Um, and I've been in almost every year since. I think there was one I skipped. I think it was in Malaysia then. But, um, yeah, just been doing it with friends. And then... Have you stuck with the same crew every year? Or is it... No, it's, put together it's been... A new team it's every been, time? It's been interchanging. Right. Um, just as, uh, just with whoever, whatever friends want to actually do it on the day. But in 2014... Uh, we were struggling to find someone who wanted to actually be a director, so I thought I'd give it a shot. And we only had a small crew, so I felt comfortable with that. And that was my first foray into directing in mm. general. And honestly, what they say about 48 hours is like a, a sort of a doorway for you to doing films. It doesn't matter if it's like TV production or you just want to do it. You get a little taste of it from 48 yeah. hours. You suddenly understand um, the, the joy that you get from creating something. Even if it's not... Um, what some people might think is amazing, just the actual process of it you find rewarding. Yeah, well, that's the value of it, isn't it? Is that particularly young people who have an eye toward that sort of thing, but movies are something that grown-ups make with millions of dollars. It's just, here's your deadline. Here are the, uh, here are the criteria that you have to fulfill in order to prove that you made the film this weekend. Other than that, it's up to you. And you really just have to reach for whatever you've got whoever's around you and willing to help and then a weekend goes by and suddenly you've made a movie and you see oh it can be that easy yeah and because of that because you only have the two days to make the film it's a great leveler so anyone can um, match up to people who are constantly in the studio making stuff i think the first time we realized that was again back in 2006 we were just teenagers and hardly any other teenagers were, were even entering this we just found out about it now they have high school teams but back then uh we had our little dv camera um and we got puppet film which mm-hmm. for a teenager perfect yes perfect genre to get um and when we went to our heat which back then was every heat was played in the um auckland civic I'm not kidding you. Wow. We, we had our DV tape puppet film played at the Auckland Civic, which is just insane to think about. These days, it's like if you get to the finals, you get to uh, play at the Civic, and that's a huge treat. Well, if, if you get to your city final, you right. get to a different cinema. But if you get to the national final, then you get the privilege of being in the Civic. Right. But, but back then, 
everything. It was just a venue to use, yep. which is just so crazy to think about. But um, yeah, when we first saw the film in our heat, it was like an actual TV production. And we're like, oh God, what have we gotten ourselves into? And um, another sort of fast and loose, I guess you can say factoid, is um, we were also played next to a film called Porn the Musical, which... Um, <laughs> P-O-R-N, not P-O-W-N? Porn. Okay, all right. Porn, the yep. musical. Yeah, and a bunch of 16-year-old kids should not have been in the <laughs> cinema to watch that film. Wow. But we were. Um, and as dicey as that is, the upshot of that is that the director who was sitting next to us was laughing his ass off at our puppet film. And right. that was the biggest buzz. is because, you know, being in that hyped-up teenage environment, you just pick a premise and dump a whole load of jokes in it. Yes. If you just want to be funny. And some of those gags were landing. And that was the biggest buzz we could have ever asked for. Yeah, yeah, that's the yeah, thing. The that, live audience. Exactly. And it comes so quick after you've made your movie as well, right? The, the, the turnover is very fast. Like, you've just made your movie, and then what is it, like, a matter of weeks before you're sitting watching it with an audience and getting that feedback which yeah yeah for sure that's unusual for movie makers it is and unfortunately it's the competition for a multiple number of reasons has lost a bit of that like a lot of the um a lot of the heats are played online only now Mm. some regions still show all the films in a watch party but you know because of cost because of covid they're kind of just not doing that um, for the heats. They're doing that for the finals and the national finals. And the, the distinct thing is, is that, um, like we were saying before about going into something blind, so many things will catch you off guard, whether like, they're like fantastic movies or just something that came out of someone's sleep-deprived brain. Yeah, I've seen some just unspeakably strange stuff at 48 hours. Uh, but you also get a sense of what is collectively on people's minds. Yeah, yeah. As well. One year when we had the um, ban on plastic bags, you got a number of plastic bag-based films. Yeah. <laughs> and one that was really good was a bunch of um, high school films who made uh, high school students who made a film about killer mermaids because one kid threw his plastic bag into the ocean. Right. And so the mermaids came back to kill him. <laughs> that was it. Nice. It was great. Nice. Yeah, it all, de- it all depends on the idea because I remember the year that the lockdown happened. I was like, there's going to be a lot of films about the lockdown – about covid about viruses and sure enough there were um some of them were excellent some of them were kind of what you'd expect and then of course the other direction some people went was well we're going to use the fact that we're all locked down and in separate homes to our advantage to not tell a story about covid but you know come up with something that will suit those limitations Mm. yeah and and um what's also really interesting is that when someone does that right they are the first to the mark to present that um, current affair mm-hmm. to the screen, like the 2017 when they're under the bridge. We were all talking about people being homeless in cars, and that, that team made an excellent film in the weekend about that. Very straightforward, but just so well realized. Nice. And it's out. People are watching it. It's yeah. Cur- and it, out when it's current. Yeah, yeah. And they, it actually did so well that they were able to do a re-edit and get that film into the uh, New Zealand International Film Festival that oh, following year. Wow. Oh, yeah. so you can, you can do that then? Like, that, if it's like, good enough, um, they'll either invite you or you'll get selected. But as far as I know, that's the only film to have made that jump. Yeah, but, but 48 Hours don't have ownership over it or anything like that. They, 
Uh, not, not as far as I know. They're, they're completely happy for you to send your film out to all sorts of film cool. festivals. I think they just want their label on it. Sure, yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah, you always see this is made in part of the 48-hour yeah, film festival. Yeah, but the current managers, Ness and Ruth, they're very much open about, like, send your creation out there. Yeah, I mean, I guess they do want to see, like we were saying it with Sikovsky, like, they want someone be- from their film festival hitting it big time. You know, in other fields. Like, yeah, they got that. Yeah, they got that huge list of people who have gone through the forty-eight hours ringer. Like Taika Waititi is the biggest one. You oh, also right. got Jason Lee Howden, Ad Walker, uh, Madeline Sami, Jackie Van Beek, uh, Stone Via Olga, um, Ayoasa, uh, and they've all gone to make films. But I think another big, big name that belongs on that list is definitely Muck Putty. Mm, right, like, yeah. Because uh, yeah, so. Muck Putty, not only have they won Auckland twice, which is just unthinkable, but they entered in 2007, back in the day where you had to hand your film in physically on DV tape. And if you're listening out there and you don't know what DV tape is, you're young. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. But um, yeah, they. Uh, not only did they make an animated film, it was slick. Camp Fear in 2007. And it's it's so damn funny. Um, but also people didn't realize that it was even possible to do anything animated in a weekend. And they not only proved it, they knocked it out of the park. And they did that consistently, and they won it again in 2014. Dead-end job. Um, I think they really paved the path for a lot of um, people who dared to do animation in 48 hours as well. And I think up until I Love Loops last year with... um, Loot and Blunder uh, Loot and Blunder. It's like, that was... In my opinion, the slickest animated film that I've seen in 48 hours. Yeah, thanks. It, well, it all comes from the fact that, well, we are uh, the people who worked on uh, that uh, that that film, I Love Loops, uh, the team, are all professional animators, compositors. So we have the machinery and we have the training. So, again, some people are absolutely astounded that that film got made in 48 hours. And, of, of course, it's a feat to get it done that quickly, turned around that quickly. But we're like, well, we have to... We have to acknowledge the fact that this is also our job, you know? Last year, um, um, the last year that I did it, 2017, was that year? No, it can't have been. 2020. You mean last year? 2021, yeah. yeah. What, what, what year this is it? This is 2022. Okay, good. But the last it's been a two pandemic. and a half years yes. don't count. Yeah, <laughs> it, the, the, the time has stopped meaning anything. Yeah. It, it was really interesting that year because obviously I was very proud of our film and uh, the recognition that it got, but. Um, I was I was dead certain that um, that your film from that year um, Atta 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 um, I really thought that was going to get the uh, best animated uh, film and it was yeah I was flattered to be in competition with it because it again proved like having glitz and uh, production and all that sort of thing is one thing but you were able to produce a film as good if not better uh, solo team. Yeah. single person yeah wow, and, and even harder because um it was a horror film right that was yeah. the genre that you got and that's the hardest thing i think uh to produce an animation it was the third time i'd gotten that genre in four years right when wow. i got it i basically collapsed and thought i can't do anything <laughs> and, and almost in as a revolt to it i was just like screw it i'm just subverting this doing whatever the hell i want i don't mm. care what people think or that i'm just gonna i'm gonna do this idea um because i just i basically wrote off expectations right um yeah i, I just wanted to do something drastically different from other horrors well the yeah sound exactly design in Atta is super 
Oh, like just amazing. Thank you. It really adds gravity. So Atta is, I've, I took a note, it's to proceed slowly with thought and deliberation. Mm, right? I, no, it's actually just alter. Like uh, Atta is, I think, I'm not, I'm nowhere a Tereo expert, okay. but like say Atta Fakata, right? Atta is a particle and Fakata is breathe, I believe. So it's like breathing slowly or meditation. Right. right. Um, but Atta by itself in that context doesn't, actually mean anything hmm. um it just means alter so when you see the title cut the characters and alter right and the reason for that is because one the character is meant to be an alterador centuries from now um so the title had to be in Tereo maori um hmm. but also i just wanted something that was straightforward and simple because i didn't want to give anything away hmm. um and there was one review on the screening room of 48 hours that was just saying about how deep and meaningful the title was because they found some essay about um, Arta and how it was like everyone has to come together and just like to improve the quality of life or something. I was like, but I never read that. Well, <laughs> I right, never, right. I, don't, I didn't earn that that's, praise. That's yeah, almost really it, nice. The cool them, thing about not. art is though that people will take themselves out of your art. You know what I mean? Like they bring themselves to it and they have a different experience than what you intended, but it doesn't make it any less sort of important no and that was very much the intention was to just like basically overload people with um this kind of vague information because that's sort of what the character is experiencing um the idea being is that they get a premonition of the future, the future right all at once and you imagine yourself as that character they're not going to make sense of a lot of it mm. um and that's essentially what i was trying to convey i figured i could do that pretty uh, w within a couple of minutes um, yeah I didn't realize. I didn't really think about people like getting it, um, right, right. Which you know, because I got horror, and because I had my soul just ripped out of me from getting that genre. I just thought, eh, I'll go with it. I'll take the risk. Why well, not? there's such an easy, you know, uh, path to take with getting horror. You're like, okay, I'll do some sort of take on a slasher or a monster movie. But uh, Atar was really interesting because it was, it was unsettling. A yes, because of the um, like dissonant sort of um like vacuum like sound design and also um the the character being a stick figure actually worked sometimes for the horror because like the character with no face would just be looking directly at the camera and you're like i can feel that they're looking at me mm. but i can't tell what they're feeling it's weird That's very and true, then yeah. and then the assault of imagery yeah uh the chaos it, it all one. just creates a really unsettling atmosphere yeah um i was yeah blown away by that let's well, um the sound design was important because I think that's like half the animation that I, I don't so. have to do, right? Yep. If you just took the sound away, then you have a really crappy looking mountain and you have a stick figure. That's all. But, but you have that you have that sound and I either get my sound from uh, freesound.org or I have it from like a, a library that I bought the license for for cheap. Mm. Um, I just have it stockpiled. But you do that and suddenly you just leave the audience to fill in the gaps. Um and that's why I did because at the time I was only animating on my iPad, um, which was great for like sitting down and stuff. But um, doing what did it, you use? It's uh, it's an app called Animation Disc. Oh yes, yeah, yeah I had that. I had yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know how clunky that thing. Yeah, can really be. clunky. Yeah. It's yeah. literally it's uh, Josh. It's 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 literally a digital animation desk. It okay. even has like the, you can turn the disc right. And, yes, and, yeah, yeah. like very limited tools on it. Yeah, just like would you like one layer of onion skin or two? 
That Don't ask it. for more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can't yeah. get more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you can only get like maybe 100 pages at a time. You try to ask for more, the thing will start to chuck. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, because I knew that app's limitation, it's like I just had the storyboard for it as well. Um, and what you see at the end where it's just like flooding of information, there's no storyboard for that. It was just really words and themes that I wanted to get out there. And when I got into that, I just basically came up with anything I wanted and just yeah. did the in-betweens for um, the different objects that I'd picked. It's great. And you got second runner-up 2021? Yeah. And um, I was absolutely not expecting it. I was just chuffed to be in the Auckland final, yeah. to be honest. And to be honest, I knew Luton Blunder was going to win Best Animation. <laughs> just like instantly knew about it well it was either going to be that or awkward animations one because their stop motion was just yeah absolutely slick again it was a, it was someone made a stop motion it was a really incredible year for animation oh because of the variety of styles and tones that people uh brought to it and yeah awkward animations um i'm gonna look up the guy's name because he was real nice we actually um caught up and sort of uh first yeah first name's adam but i also adam, talk thank you i also talk about um hannah taylor who was kind of the mvp of um of that year and she made um she's been doing animation by herself uh, for a while not only did she win best uh, best uh, solo filmmaker she also won the uh gayling press and woman film yeah. award both just so well earned because not only does she animate write direct all that she also sang in her film that's not a musical she just <laughs> wow. liked to wow. make a song and there are multiple well. songs too no way yeah yeah she just liked to do it and the the crowd was just up and laughter about it as well she slayed them it was that was another um amazing uh thing to see that year in particular was um seeing the response that uh hannah taylor got from the audience the recognition that she got um and thinking about like you know what a great um sort of kickstart to a creative journey that would be you know for a young person to get to have people love your film to be recognized for it where do you go from there? You know, you get to decide. It was really exciting. And yeah, absolutely. And, it, for her. and you know, it all comes back to Muck Putty for showing what was possible in that competition. Did you know that, because um, we talked to Tim about this, this was when they did Camp Fear, that was before any of us worked here. It was just, it was four guys in Muck Putty at this point and they were making, was it Crumbs at the time? Possibly, was yeah, it, was for it, what now? Some, or Sparkle Friends? Maybe it was Sparkle Friends. It was, it was I think it was Sparkle Friends. It's the one where they made a new episode every week, right? So a whole episode of they Sparkle had, they Friends. They had the Homestar Runner deadline. They, they pretty much like, <laughs> like knocked it out in a week. Yeah. Um, and it was the same thing. They had to deliver, like they had to hand deli- deliver it and all this. And then, um, so they got, you know, there was only four of them, but they really um, had it like a well-oiled machine. Um, and so they, when the 48 hours came up, they're like, well, we do this all the time. <laughs> you know, so they just spent the weekend making a 48 hours um, and then and, Monday and morning. Also, yeah, like that Friday, they just handed in an episode of uh, wow. Spark, Sparkle Friends. <laughs> yep, yep. And then on Monday morning, right back into a new episode of Sparkle Friends. Wow. Um, so that, that, like, to me was like, how the hell? Where does the. They were young. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the energy I, comes I, from there. I took this Monday off because of 48 <laughs> right, hours. Yeah, yeah, it yeah, was yeah. the most hungover I've been all year, and I didn't drink a thing. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, um, so you've done it again. This year, we wanted to get you in fresh off of having uh, completed yeah. your most recent uh, forty-eight hour entry. How did it all go? Um, it went. It went well on the base of it. Um, like the film got completed, almost all of it is how I wanted it to be. So I'm very stoked about that. Um, 
I wanted this year to um, go back into writing dialogue because I haven't done that in ages. And I also had uh, two friends who I wanted to work with with um, voice acting, and they did such a good job. Um, very happy with how the story turned out. Um, absolutely minced myself, though, this yeah. year. It's the hardest I worked. And I think it's part of it is because of the naivety I had about the story and what it would demand. Um, but I also know you just got to chug through it. And the idea was um, to basically make it look like a webcomic had come to life. Um, whatever the story was going to be, that was going to be my style. And I was just going to make it work somehow. And what I perceived as an advantage of that was because it would be a comic book style, I wouldn't have to think too hard about the drawing and I wouldn't have to do much background work either. Um, it was all shortcuts I was thinking of beforehand. What I didn't consider is that what if the film is four minutes long, like it ended up being, and there's multiple animations in the single bloody scene. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, that's, that's why it felt half past dead on the Monday. I can imagine. I, I have seen it. I got a sneaky preview and, uh, the way it is done is uh, whenever like a new action takes place, a new panel will appear. And sometimes multiple panels will appear on the same, on the same, uh, in the same shot. Uh, it can get pretty complicated from a, from an animating perspective, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And there were some panels that I just had to cut from it as uh, the deadline was looming. Um, I just had to think of different ways to uh, basically not have them in there. Cause I got it in with half an hour to spare Tight. close yeah, it, yeah. It, it was close um and i there were multiple times where i thought i'm not getting this in there's absolutely no way um and then i stopped thinking about it and just got to work and that was that i got the film in and have you seen you haven't watched it with an audience yet no right so no when's just, that gonna happen um i'm not too sure yet because they have the heat up but they haven't um put the teams assigned the teams to heats yet for okay. Auckland at least um, but because my team is called Mitchell's here it'd be somewhere in the middle so I think maybe start of September it'll be live streamed okay. on YouTube okay yeah but then again that's not going to be like so you don't know if you're going to watch it with an audience yet because you got to get through a few heats first no but what what is fascinating about seeing it um, live stream on YouTube is that people comment as it's playing oh yeah. right cool yeah yeah okay, and that's like the 48 hours community they're almost everyone has hearts of gold. So if they don't right. like something, they're not going to say anything. Yeah. Um, mm. But if they like something, they'll let you know. Uh, and it can be the biggest buzz to um, hear someone that you have no idea about just say, this is great. Because they're not going to say it in a cinema. Yeah. So that's probably like the one advantage it has over an in-cinema You get um, more than screening. just laughter. It's true. Being able to hear the specific feedback. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, but then again, it still doesn't beat being in a crowd of people who are going to laugh or who are going to gasp right um, yeah or get yeah, the reactions yeah. that you were seeking to get yeah um yeah yeah it's the difference like um a laugh or something or a scream in a cinema it's, it's an instinctive reaction and that's nice on the level of you go okay without them having to think about it i drew the reaction out mm, of them mm. uh, a comment is a more considered opinion yeah here's what i think and want to let you know about yeah, what i liked yeah, about yeah. it both yeah. are nice so like i think arta was a perfect example of that because in a cinema it's not looking for a reaction hmm. there's no shocks there's no gasps or laughter in that film um you just, it's just kind of forcing you to make you think and sit there by yourself but seeing it play for the first time um on on youtube and seeing some people actually like positively react to it 
that was probably like the most nervous I had been and the most relieved I had been yeah. um, throughout that whole experience. Because like that was when I thought, oh, damn, it actually worked on someone. Yeah, I guess that's true because with particularly that film, it's not necessarily going for a laugh or that kind of audible reaction. And without that, you're like, are people liking it? Or yeah. are they just confused? So getting people saying like, I loved it. Yeah, means yeah. something. Or like just someone saying, holy crap, this is insane. That's enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's enough. <laughs> yeah. They might not get it, but it's like, okay, that's, that's, that's prompted them to say that. So it must be working in some sense. Yeah, yeah. you'll take it for sure. Yeah. Cool. Is there 48 hours in other countries? Or is it? I think it's a New Zealand homegrown thing. thing. Is it? There, um, there are equivalents, but um, in terms of a competition, I don't think it's as big as New Zealand. It's New Zealand's biggest filmmaking competition by far. Mm. Uh, but I do know that there have been like make a film over a week and cut type deals also like make a film in a day or a week right. variations of it mm-hmm. yeah. whether or not they jibbed it from this competition or not hard to say to be honest I can imagine someone just coming up, coming up with it in their head not even knowing yeah it yeah maybe not maybe yeah not. parallel thinking when I first moved here like within the first couple of weeks of getting here I discovered the 48-hour film festival, and I never experienced anything like this, the kind of community mm. of the 48 hours. It was back in the days of things getting shown in the Civic, you know, without being in the final. First of all, it was my first time to be in the Civic, <laughs> uh, which was a bit of an experience itself. But, um, yeah, just the the pure joy that was in the cinema that night. Like, ev- like I never laughed so hard. When you're watching uh, a movie in a theater of people and then you look over and the person who's in the movie is sitting over yeah, there yeah, yeah, it's like yeah. whoa that's cool <laughs> there's also that idea that everyone knows uh, the limitations involved and completely um, accepts them yeah right, they're accepting right. of the errors that your film may or may not have um, and also uh, one I, I don't know if they still do this but in one of the um, city finals that uh, in Auckland that I attended what they would do is that they would show the, the high school team that won the best high school um, team award first before anything else. And that would also get a huge laugh yeah. Yeah. as well because, they, yeah, I forget what it was called, but it was just like a very hot, fuzzy kind of mm-hmm. um, just mm-hmm. throw-to-the-wall comedy. Um, and to like know that, um, that high schoolers are there with everyone else getting that reaction, it's, it's always, um, it always is a big fuzzy. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And gives you, you know, um, yeah, that good, that good, um, reminder that like, um, uh, a quality cinema experience can come from anywhere regardless of the means, yeah. you know? Yeah. Also when you're watching like 20 movies in a night, mm. it doesn't matter if one is not good. No right yeah. because it's over in a couple of minutes but but it'll be followed by something that you love yeah yeah or or it, it's preceded by something that you love you, you just see so many like i walk out of that and i can't remember half the stuff i saw even though i laughed all the way through the night yeah and it also goes back to like what we were saying about expectations is that uh, you really don't know what to expect not sure. a thing yeah sure in 48 hours because you're, you're sort of high on lunatic energy you're going to get a lot of comedies out of yeah it. and that's yeah. great because yeah. um that prompts spontaneity which is at the heart of good comedy but at the same time you'll just get a lot of people who are just like screw it, i'm gonna try this i'm gonna yeah. try this uh, dramatic technique or i'm gonna try um subvert this genre in this way uh and then you'll get you'll end up getting films that um, you'd never see anywhere else. Yeah. Like there was one one film that I still just cannot forget, 
and I wish I remembered the name of it, but I just call it the Pregnant Woman Fish film. Okay. Um, and it's exactly what it sounds like. Uh, it was it was so uh, out there. It didn't bother explaining itself, but everyone remembers that film if they saw it. Right. Um, because it was partly interpretive, but it was also just really well done, very slickly shot. The person who was the lead in it, she did a fantastic job as a woman who gave birth to a fish. Yeah. Um, and it took itself completely seriously. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I, I imagine um, a lot of people become filmmakers from going through the 48-hour film festival. It's kind of like a film school. It's like a film school here in New Zealand, but it's like... Well, it's putting it's any theory that you have fire. to practice. Yeah. Yeah, and a big filmmaking lesson to relate back to Richard Williams. What mm. he didn't do was kill your darlings. Right. You have to do it if you're going to survive this competition. Yeah. Um, and that's that's definitely what I had to learn and almost like preemptively do that right. um, in order to try and get the most of what I have. Exactly. Um, yeah, you can't be you can't be precious about it, you know, yeah. which is a temptation that if you're making a film by yourself, yeah. you can fall into. It's a brutal deadline. Yeah. So get it made. Which get is it done. many times the hardest thing is starting something finishing it finishing is you the know? hardest thing when you have no deadline and when you can't think about you cannot think about making it perfect you just have to think about you either get it over the line or the weekend was a waste and you got to apologize to everybody who gave them gave you their weekend yeah so you just yeah it's brutal yeah and there's definitely been like aspects of previous films i've made where i've just been hung up on like something that i should have added a sound to or like a line that was just a bit too on the nose or whatever but in the end, I still had that film to look back to. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Um, do you do you review any of the 48-hour films? In, um, yeah, uh, I, 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 review, I review my heat. Oh, for flicks. Oh, not for flicks, you just do... Oh, for, for, no, just for the, um, just for the uh, screening room. Okay. I just think it's the polite thing to do to review films in the heat. And just, yeah. I, I'm, not, I'm not being a film critic, quotey hands. And I'm just trying to be like, hey, this is what I thought was really good about your film. Right. Maybe like if you did this differently, this would it would amplify it even more. Cool. Yeah, yeah. But may, yeah. maybe it's like because you ran out of time. Totally get it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah the yeah, screening yeah. room is really cool. Um, <laughs> it's where you get to see everyone's films, and most crucially, people can leave you comments. And yeah, it's a real. It, it it has been a really excellent community because uh, lots of encouragement for the two ones that I participated in, but also constructive criticism, usually sandwiched between. I really liked this, by the way. So this is this is great. Is the screening room? This is a part of the Forty Eight Hours. It's like yes, a, a, it's a part of their website right, basically, yeah, yeah, that you yeah. can log and into all and leave reviews. Are there? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. And they'll have um, user reviews straight underneath the um, the videos as well. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I hope we've talked up the uh, New Zealand International Film Fest and the Forty Eight Hours as um, great things to go out and uh, check out because there are events that you as some a listener anybody regardless of being a filmmaker or not you can go and attend uh these events i would hugely recommend anyone wherever you are to attend your region's um final it's going to be a good time Absolutely. a really really good yeah. crowd-pleasing time it's where i saw the i learned the term kiwi ingenuity oh yeah and you see it in play at the 48 hour film festival true right because okay so for me new zealand is like on the edge of the world and it's not near anything so kiwis have to do it all themselves you know we need a film festival well, let's roll up our sleeves <laughs> our newest neighbor is australia a few hours away we're not gonna ask them for help <laughs> no, 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 no 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 we're not no, gonna ask our big brother we for, ask help. for a bowl of sugar <laughs> right so yeah no it's just and i felt it when i came here the the just the homegrown movie scene here is like it's so vibrant 
Uh, it, it was just, it was, it's all here for you. Yeah, I do feel though that at least currently, there's only a limit to the independent filmmaking scene in New Zealand. It's right. great, like Boy that was fantastic for that, but you, you try to like get higher maybe to a production or like trying to get an independent film made it's so much harder people yeah. really struggle with that yeah yeah because we're a small country it has its well, limitations it. yeah. and it's yeah. advantages yeah. and there's only so much money that the film commission yeah. Yeah. Has eventually to it's, the, it's the population isn't it it's going to catch up with you because there's only so much money here mm. so yeah oh, but at least kiwis give it a go yeah right and, but that's also the precise reason why it's like such a great part of our cinematic identity is because it speaks in so many directions to so many genres to what we're all kind of thinking um, that we're just not going to see with like the limited number of feature films that come out. Definitely, I'll, and that, I like that idea of the genres because I'm a big horror guy, and like you say, you got horror three years in a row. I'm like jackpot. <laughs> but it's good if you don't get the genre that you love. Right? Yeah. Like if I got comedy, like rom com musical, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't know where to begin. I feel I, sorry. I, I genuinely do. My heart go out to the people who get musical because yeah. I I like musicals, but. Not everyone can write music. Yeah. How do the, you write the, a song? The, not in the way that anyone can pick up a camera necessarily. You can you can fake a horror movie. You can fake a comedy movie. But you're like a musical. I have to write some music. Yeah. Who the hell's going to do that? Yeah. The art the art of subversion. Yeah. Want to yeah. really try and nail that down? Because um, I mean, I did that for Arta partly because out of pure blind fury for having King Horror again. But mm-hmm. um, also this year, I got the Impossible Situation movie which uh, they described as like mainly survival situations, but also through in things like Groundhog Day. It's like, this just seems like something that someone can't escape. Essentially, that's why you cracked it down. But I wanted to do something gentler. Um, and I sort of mulled my brain over it because I put all these other conditions that only really led me to one place I wanted to, wanted to talk about in a way that I thought I could do it. Um, so I think you really got to try to think of ways to subvert if you get a genre that you feel trapped in mm. yeah it's... well because it, it only has to be a tenuous link really doesn't it i mean it, the, the idea of the genres and the and the guidelines is just to prove that you made i've, it I've never weekend. heard of them uh like disqualifying anyone because it didn't meet the the genre requirements yeah. strictly you know yeah. and the the um the elements that they give you each year things that you have to put in a movie as long as you're putting it in in some justifiable way uh, you can stretch the meaning of those pretty pretty far and wide. Like for musical, right? If you have no idea how to play an instrument, click your fingers, do spoken word poetry. Yep, that's yep. a way to yep. do it. That's I was actually as you we were talking about it, I was thinking spoons the musical. <laughs> right? We just collect some spoons for the, every song. Yes. Just got spoons in it. Some other people have even used like um, classical music that's now like public domain public domain right for yeah, their yeah, musical yeah, as well. yeah yeah so that's, that's yeah, yeah. You, could, you just yeah. need to there's like ways of doing it isn't there kiwi ingenuity yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 well you you literally can't stop to second guess yourself because you are on the clock yeah exactly, exactly. uh liam last question before we uh begin to wrap up because we've had you for a while um so you've just done the 48 hours recently before that you just finished uh for every occasion and i saw recently you just put up a music video on your youtube yeah. channel you've released quite a lot recently yeah. are you 
are you percolating new ideas? Are you leaping into a new production? Or are you taking a nice, well-deserved break from filmmaking? For I'm a playing a video game called I Am Fish. Cool. Where you play a pet fish trying to go back to the ocean. Mm-hmm. I'm really enjoying that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, nice. um, yeah. That's that's. I'm just. I'm just yeah. gonna play video games for a Chill while out now. Time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, think you're, I think you're more you than entitled it. to it. Yeah. And that ticks the box that we weren't really going to cover, but something that's inspiring you, something that you're enjoying. I am a fish. I am fish. I am fish. Yes, it's a very dopey, fun game. If you can forget. What are you playing that on? Just my PC. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's cool. really inventive. You'd be surprised how many situations a fish can get into in the big city. <laughs> you starting off in like a tank, and then yeah, the first one you're a, you're a goldfish and you start in the bowl and you start moving the bowl like a ball because it's closed. But you have to also not break the glass bowl as well. So, so you, you can't be, jump off a table. You be, yeah, you gotta be yeah. gentle with it, and then eventually you like land in the pond after breaking the bowl. But then you will get caught in the janitor's um, uh, rolly bucket thing. Mm-hmm. So you have to push the bucket thing um, across the street. Past it. Yes, it's a great game. It's a great yeah. game. I love it. It's Fantastic. like a scene from um, Finding Nemo, only the game version. It's absolutely yeah. Finding Nemo, the, like the climax of it. And you play as a piranha as well, a flying fish that can fly, oh, cool. a puffer fish. I didn't think I'd be talking about this game. Today. <laughs> yeah. This is the stuff we like to hear about. I've yeah. never heard of it. I just, I, after 48 hours, I just don't want to touch my tablet for a good long while. Yeah. Actually, I want to show you, because um, there's a because um, if you're making animations on... On your tablet, there's flip a clip. Have you come across that? Oh yeah, yeah I don't. Um, so I should also mention, like, after getting um, after getting runner runner up, I used some of the prize money to buy an actual proper uh, animation. Uh, there you go. Uh, program, right? Yeah. Called um, yeah. Clip Studio Paint. Right. Yeah. 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 I also got the, one of those um, proper monitor tablets, but I got one that has a cracked screen. That doesn't affect performance, but I got it for ninety nine bucks. It's usually wow, like that's fantastic. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Thank you, trade me. Yeah. So I just got those, and that's how I've been making stuff ever since. So that's the way to do it. You get prize money, and then you just just level up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's yeah. what a lot of filmmakers do. You know, yeah. they just put it back into the into the fund for next year. That's how I ended up as an animator. Yeah. Like I I did a quick illustration job, and with the money I bought a computer, and then I learned Photoshop. And then I got a job. You know? yep. Well, the film commissioner even um, doing that same thing with 48 Hours. So the ultimate winner this time will get the opportunity to um, do a pitch for a $25,000 grant for either a short or a series. Wow. Cool. Fantastic. Yeah. So yeah. They, really, they really understand the value of it, of 48 Hours. I mean, is there any Kiwi filmmaker working today who hasn't? dip their tone for 48 hours on their way to where they are peter jackson the one uh, yeah 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 but then well, he, I guess he that's is true, involved though he, he is involved like, yeah. yeah i was gonna yeah. say, I, I thought about it for a split second i was like he never did it oh it started in 2003 yeah, he was already yeah. knee deep in <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rings. Right, yeah. right yeah but but still like there's the peter jackson award and, and that kind i of mean stuff. If, you're, if you're talking about like from the 2000s can't name any yeah i mean but it's just the top of my head but like even if i were to name someone i wouldn't fully know if they had like if they had done the competition in one year yeah 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 well liam thank you for coming in and chatting with us thank you so much for having me this has been fun yeah it's been very it's been very insightful it's always nice to talk with uh creatives from outside our studio because i've heard all their stories (laughs) (laughs) yeah we've bored with our stories right (laughs) Uh, the audience will get bored with mine soon enough i've got five neat phrases and i've used most of them (laughs) um liam where can people find you uh on the wild internet uh liam mcgurn 
L-I-A-M-M-A-G-U-R-E-N. That's literally my Twitter handle. Mm-hmm. Pretty feverent on there. I also have an Instagram. Don't use that much, but hey, feel free to go there. And also Flix, whether you're in New Zealand or Australia or UK, I write for them quite a bit, so find me there. Yeah, make it your homepage. And, and all your films are on your YouTube oh, channel. Yeah. Also, Liam yeah. McGurn. Yeah, I also have a YouTube channel. We have my films. Yeah, um, that's just Liam McGurn, but I don't know if it's easy to find channels on YouTube or not, but uh, yeah. Uh, oh, actually, yeah, I have a website, um, liammcgurren.co.nz. That's where all my films are. Excellent. Cool. Easy cool. to forget these things. Yeah. 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 You're, you're just like us. You have an Instagram, in theory. <laughs> uh, mine is Joshua Martian underscore art, and my Twitter is Joshua Martian. I am also pretty feverent on Twitter.com. You're great on Twitter. I love it. Thanks. I, in fact, I want you to teach me to tweet. <laughs> right? I've, I've been on Twitter for years, and I've never tweeted. May I suggest doing what Josh is doing, and that's um, drawing taxidermy animals? That's a great idea. Yeah, it's yeah. fun. So yeah. good. Yeah. It's very fun. Go to the museum. I'm going to the museum tomorrow with a friend and her kids and i'm going to be on the eye out for more because right. some people just don't know how to set an animal's face right which is understandable <laughs> you're like i don't know what this ferret's face looked like when it was alive i'm not sure if they're going for comedy but they struck it <laughs> is it is it grinning it could be grinning yeah. uh simon where can they follow you yeah i'm on well like i say i am on twitter but you'll find me better on instagram at sicky fondue s-i-c-k-y-f-o-n-d-u-e um and i'll put pictures up Excellent. Uh, Well, that is all from us for this episode. Until next time, uh, keep mucking around.